Welcome and thank you for downloading the Green Majority Podcast. At the end of this episode, I will cue to a bonus show I was going to do, but I've decided now after the fact, because I record our intros before the show, uh, to just stick it here right at the front of the show. So this is the thing that you're going to later hear me say will be up next. Um, so basically, uh, there was a bonus show that uh, Stefan and his brother Dave produced last week, and it, it actually didn't get uh, posted. Funny story. Uh, the reason it's a funny story is because it is a request, a call out for applications for hiring a producer. We've been teasing this for a little while now. Uh, as you have probably noticed, even though we're very, very good, Stefan and I, at uh, uh, ad-libbing and, and uh, making it up as we go along, uh, we are increasingly, you know, this has always been a lot of time to do the show, and we're increasingly finding it very, very hard to make sure that we have a good quality show for you. We're, of course, still very, very committed to doing the show, uh, but without any significant funding. We, of course, have some funding. We have a few uh, patrons who are very, very appreciated who help us fund the show. Uh, but it's not a significant total amount, as appreciated as every dollar that we are given uh, is. Uh, so, and, and it's also increasingly hard to do the show. So rather than just shutting down shop, don't worry, that's not the announcement. An announcement. Uh, what we're doing is we're going to try hiring someone part-time to help us produce the show. Uh, so the, pod, uh, the, and the, the hilarious example of that was that we did a bonus show about that. It was sent out to the, uh, the podcast list, and then the actual website post was not posted. So we got some emails last week from people who were interested who heard the bonus show and we're not actually and then there was no post so the first piece of news is the post is now live so if you heard that last week and you were interested or you want to look over what we were talking about that is it is there on the website now if you go back and look through the last couple of posts you'll see it there producer uh, but I also just wanted to take a quick minute here and I hope you'll forgive me sticking it at the front of the show uh, just because I was not on that episode just to talk a little bit from my perspective uh, what it is just very briefly um, basically the idea is, as I was just saying is it's getting increasingly hard to make sure that we have a, a very good quality show for you here. Uh, Stefan and I are both in getting busier and busier uh, with our actual paid jobs as much as we wish this was our paid job. Uh, we don't necessarily think, although it would be amazing uh, and it would be great that there's that there's going to be enough resources anytime soon for us to really pay ourselves to do the show, uh, but we do feel that we can continue to produce a good high quality show for you and, and continue to expand our reach and, and get better equipment and, and do more research and get better interviews and, and just generally improve every after show so it's a better resource for everyone. Uh, if we get some help. Uh, and our experience over the last 10 years of doing the show was that the, the type of consistency and the type of skill level that we need is very, very difficult to find in a volunteer as many, despite the many, many wonderful people who have applied to help us as volunteers over the years. So uh, we are going to try a model of paying someone a very small amount of money from our patron account. Uh, to do that, there is a, a list of tasks on the website, so I won't go through that. But I just wanted to sort of give a personal note about where we were at uh, with doing that. We do want to commit to doing the show. I would love to do. The, uh, I've often jokingly, not so jokingly said that, uh, you know, this show would be prod from pride from my cold, dead hands. Uh, but it is getting very difficult. Um, so if you're able to support us, this is a really excellent time to do that because uh, we, even though we've been doing patron call-outs for a long time, it's often been sort of in an uh, unclear, unspecific way what it was we are actually using the money for. Basically, it just helped me. The, the reality was is up until this point, it's, it just helped absorb the day of work I don't work to work on the show I was essentially working for free for or very close to free um, what we're looking to do now is divert all of that income uh, to a actual support person who's going to help us out with that that will allow me to actually pick up a couple more work hours that are increasingly making it hard for me to do the show that will free me up uh, so that I can I can meet my, my jobs needs and 
continue to produce an amazing show by doing that. So that's what we're going to try. So if you want to apply for that position, the information is now actually for real posted this time on the website. You can apply through that form. We would love to hear from you. If you can't do that, if you're not able to do that, if you're not interested in doing that, but you do appreciate the show, this is our call out for a very specific reason to become a Green Majority member to help us do that. Because the key factor here is that uh, while we are while we are going to put some money aside to pay this person, we only have about half the donations right now monthly uh, or half the memberships right now that we have uh, monthly of what we would really need to pay that person. So uh, during this trial period, I'm essentially going to be paying that out of my pocket, that difference. Um, so rather than paying myself a very tiny amount of money to, to take the time off to do the show, uh, I'm going to take money out of my pocket and give it, give that plus the Patreon uh, to somebody else. The the idea there, of, in addition to uh, Patreon support, of course, is that we are, we're hoping that this person will actually drive future memberships. Uh, but if you like this plan and you think this is a good plan and you'd love to see the, the show grow and, and get better and really improve and become really what we think it can be and you don't want to apply or you can't apply, now really is the time to become a, become a patron. So I've been talking for a number of minutes now. I'm going to stop talking, but I just want to do a personal appeal here because I was not able to join Stefan and Dave on the last one, uh, that now is the time to either uh, sign up on the form or become a Patreon. You can do that. The website post is at greenmajority.ca and the uh, Patreon account if you'd like to become a member and help us support this new initiative, this new push uh, to take to get really serious here at the Green Majority. Of course, we're always very serious. Uh, you can do that at Patreon, which is p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com slash greenmajority. I hope you consider at least one of those things and either way, we really appreciate you listening. Thank you so much for your support in any form it takes, even your ears. Uh, with that, I will now let you listen to this actually unsurprisingly amusing for us episode of The Green Majority. Take care. And welcome, you're listening to The Green Majority here at CIUT 89.5 FM, or one of our wonderful and very appreciated community radio partners across the country, and of course, our dedicated podcast followers as well. Welcome to The Green Majority. Uh, I'm your host, Aaron Kaster. Stefan Hostetter is here as well. And uh, I know what I'm going to be talking about in a little bit, but I actually don't know. We we had, you know, Stefan and I have both had really busy weeks, and I actually don't know what's up first. So, Stefan, I'm I'm as much interested in what you have to say as, as everybody else. Oh, that's uh, amazing. Please, so, please, so is that please. not interested? Is that the level of interest or are we presuming that everyone actually is really interested in what I have to say no I'm assuming everyone's pretty interested oh, wow. and wow. I'm almost as interested well I will I will, <laughs> I will take I will take uh, I'll take the uh, the compliment yeah so this is actually uh, came from a question I received earlier this week um, and I was like all right well, I feel like I have some thoughts but what uh, what do I have further thoughts on this and and so I started did, did a little bit of digging uh, which is around vertical farming and the concept around whether or not you know basically i feel like every single time i get a question about a new sort of type of technology or type of innovation that exists within the sustainability space my brain always has the question will this save us you know like like, like it, that wasn't the question regulated to me, sent to me but it was definitely a piece of of my thought uh which is like whenever i see a new uh a new you know battery technology or or, or a new you know it's especially true in carbon capture and storage technologies, although mm -hmm. the answer was super no on that one. Um, and so, but I always get this question of like, will it save us? And so I, I, I sort of start digging from that angle. 
Uh, for a quick aside, I, I think this was actually before you joined the show, Stefan. So, mm-hmm. so you may not, uh, if I'm correct, then you don't even know this. But uh, we actually had an interview I've, on the on the topic of vertical farming, I believe, about five or six years ago. So I, I believe it was it was at least a year before you joined us, um, with a professor out of the United States who uh, was a I believe was a graduate professor. I'm, I'm way too long ago for me to possibly remember his name, but a, a, you know, a graduate professor out of the U.S. Uh, somewhere I'm assuming in uh, architecture or urban planning or something like that, who's every year the grad project or one of the final projects that they would do during the sort of like con- controlled part of their education uh, was to design a vertical farming building. And so what they had, though, is he would present as sort of the opening material all of the previous work mm. as like a starting place. And so it was really fascinating. So, I mean, if you Google his name, uh, you get a bunch of interesting results because there's this sort of like year after year, these different students would sort of be like constantly revising this and working on this almost like this legacy project that he was curating to design vertical farming, essentially self-sustaining condos that clean their own water, cycle the water like fully as close to fully standalone uh, buildings as possible. But what was interesting was that uh, a lot of other people, uh, when you go and look up his name, the other the things were calling this guy a quack, basically. <laughs> but we interviewed him, and, and I brought that up that you know that there's a lot of criticism of his work, and and I really appreciate his response. He was like, people are taking this way too seriously. Like this is a project for learning for the students. If we come up with something useful, that's fabulous. Uh, but I'm I have never claimed that we're about to be able to start you know building right. these. So, yes, we're not. He's not. He, it will not save us. Is the yeah. Answer. So I don't even know. I mean, this again. This was five years ago. I don't I don't know if this project is even still being done but it's it's I'm fascinated by the topic I just thought that would be interesting for context yeah for sure uh, and so the, the article specifically that was that was sent to me was uh, about uh, this this particular type of aero farms a e r o farms they might pronounce it slightly different always the a and the e beside each other are always like I feel like it's I'm always sort of skeptical on how to pronounce that uh, but uh, so they are uh, they've been doing this since 2004 so yeah pretty long long history and it, from the looks of it a lot of their farming is is really the classic well not not sort of classic uh, in the sort of farm that you mentioned of of sort of like a a building that has multiple types of things. This is just how much can you grow in a specific small amount of area kind of situation. Mm. And and this is being, it, it's increasingly becoming a larger and larger um, place for investment. Uh, this actually is, a, this the story specifically is about how uh, Aero Farms just basically closed out $40 million in Series D financing, uh, which is a pretty far along uh, process of, of the financing systems. And it's from a whole bunch of organizations that I mean things to people in the finance world and nothing to me, but I feel like it's important to say anyways. Uh, so the groups that, that, that put money into here are the Dubai-based uh, Maris Holdings, London-based ADM Capital, NYC-based ADM AB Alliance Bernstein and the Netherlands-based IKEA Group, which is obviously the only one that like <laughs> that anyone will understand. Uh, which I also appreciate. I like whenever the headlines now just say like the most things that anyone understands. So IKEA Group is the one that gets highlighted in this article um, because, of course, and uh, and then it, that's actually they are actually they are joined uh, by existing investors who are the London-based Wheat Staff Group and the Beijing-based GSR Ventures. Uh, so and this is the part that's interesting. There's also a top chef named David uh, Chang of the Momofuku Group, which is which is something. But the name that stuck out to me, and it's it's just sort of was thrown at the end. So the article I'm basing this off is not even an article; it's a press release by Aero Farms. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is not a this is not an unbiased source. It's literally the people who did this. Mm-hmm. Um, but they just to be of, fair, that's how most journalism gets done. Exactly. You know, and like it, uh, like you know, they're not they're literally just announcing that they raised forty million dollars. Like it, there's nothing else to this article. Um, but. Uh, what was interesting was the last name on the list, and I'll come back to this later. Why I find this interesting? The last name on the list is General David Petraeus. Wow. Yeah. 
Right. I was going to be, I was really curious why someone's name would be important. That is very interesting. Yes. <laughs> this, you know, this is, this is a, this is a whole bunch of like big financiers and then, you know, the former defense uh, secretary, <laughs> General David Petraeus, you know, just, just under, the, under Obama to be clear. Yes. We're not talking about one of the, two uh, <laughs> um, but, uh, and you know, he's got his own sordid history, which we're not going to get into right now, but it's just fascinating that there's a general involved in this entire thing. And I, I'm going to come back to why that matters in a second. And so, uh, you know, part of the question is, you know, is vertical farming the future? You know, uh, is this is this an answer to some of the questions? And and it's far from Aero Farms the only one. Uh, there's there's a net, there's a, a net, like almost every large organization, large sort of investor um, or, or large sort of thing is is has some sort of. There's a lot of feelers out, I think, in, in, in the financiers sector into, into vertical farming, including uh, a Jeff Bezos from the uh, from who you may know of Amazon fame mm-hmm. uh, has a backed uh, warehouse farm that will grow enough produce to feed 180,000 people per year. Uh, which, is, which is also the the connect the dots on that one, too, is that that's not just I mean, you know, there, we talk about people like Elon Musk a lot who just mm-hmm. sort of has all these different projects. Uh, in that case, I see a correlation there because, of course, their big recent takeover of, uh, of Whole Foods uh, of Whole Foods. Yeah. So that's that is seems to be part of that's inherently part of a strategy and not just like another random investment well there's some clearly some vertical integration ah, ah. I see what you did there yeah um, which, which of course, you know, if they're able to grow the food and then sell the food and then, you know, and get the food out there using the Amazon systems, uh, you can understand why this might go. And and, and this one again, and each I, I shouldn't. Uh, I certainly don't want to pretend that vertical farming is all the same. Uh, in that there are many ways to do vertical farming. And so when you're asking, is vertical farming the future? The answer almost certainly is most of the options, no. Mm. You know, a vast majority of the things that are being invested in right now almost certainly will die off. Uh, whereas the, uh, where, but, but are, is, there, is, is there a sort of a critical flaw in this? Or the, and, and, and why does it matter is the question I'm trying to ask here. Uh, and, and so this particular venture, uh, that's backed by Jeff Bezos, uh, raised uh, $260 million to date. It's opening a 100,000-square-foot farm in the greater Seattle, Washington area. And it, it grows uh, fruits and veggies under LEDs without soil uh, and hopes to sell its organic produce for the same price as traditional produce. So, it's, so that's there's a couple things that's key there. They're trying to lower the price of organics, mm-hmm. um, and they are doing it without soil, which is a, which speaks to some one of the main variants uh, to do with vertical farming is that um, there's tradition. There's uh, I'm not going to say traditional vertical farming. I don't know if traditional vertical farming doesn't exist really. Uh, <laughs> Is I mean, that a thing? I don't know the hanging gardens of Babylon, That's perhaps like traditional virtual reality. Yeah, exactly. Um, but uh, but you know you, you've got you've got soil based vertical farming in which it's a sort of layers and layers of sort of stacked on stacked on stacked and stacked, mm. uh, which appears to be sort of what the the uh, the Aero Farms is looking at. Uh, but then you have something like. Uh, something like hydroponics, uh, which is uh, which is a, a sort of using using water, and there's aquaponics, uh, which is uh, a great uh, Toronto-based venture, Ripple Farms, uh, is 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 in uh, is doing, uh, and they actually, if you're if you're interested in in the Toronto area, you can go down to Evergreen Brickworks and actually check mm-hmm. out their 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 aquaponics. And what's interesting about aquaponics is it actually creates a sort of a much more complete. Uh, ecosystem mm-hmm. in that it has it has fish and in the bottom and then it which would provide nutrients for the plants and it's sort of a, it's a little bit more of a of a full system. Mm-hmm. Now again, that also increases the complexity of the system because there are now fish involved, but it also lets you actually sell the fish. Mm-hmm. So it's 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 doing a little bit more. 
Uh, and there, and, and there's, this is, that's only a very, very small subset of the many different types and ways vertical farming can exist and exist. And, and just really quick, I don't know if you were about to say this, but yeah. the other really important part of that too is that one of the concerns, one of the many concerns, we spend a lot of time on climate change, but and, and obviously there is a connection to climate change mm -hmm. here because climate change is connected to everything. That's why we can't stop talking about it. Yeah. Uh, but you know, one of the other concerns, uh, if we can partition concerns to this degree, uh, is that we're running out of soil. Yeah, uh, and that soil and not dirt, and any as any uh, uh, person, oh, I'm forgetting what field that would be, uh, with the name of that field. But anyway, as as any a soil scientist would say, yeah. you know, don't call it dirt because they're not the same thing. And right. actual soil, the soil that we need, healthy soil to actually grow food, uh, is running out really quickly. We've destroyed a lot of it in Toronto. Uh, the Toronto GTA has uh, General Toronto Area, Greater Toronto Area has, uh, you know, a, some of the it did have. Uh, some of the highest concentration of high quality soil in Canada, I believe. Yeah. And we've, over the last 40 years, paved over 85 or something percent. <laughs> a of high percent of it. Yeah. Uh, very high. I, I mean, I made up the specific number, but it's it's a, it's close. It's something like that. You know, we've paved over it. So that's the, the fact that you can the research into growing soil this is not simply a technological issue with having to do with it's more convenient to that technology. Mm -hmm. It's also, it's there. people are planning to not have soil available. Well, there's, a, there's a, yeah, there's an imperative to some extent, uh, a future planning imperative. Right. It's it's a feature, not a bug. Yes, um, and, and 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 to be fair, there's yeah, the in the six inches of topsoil, which is which is what the what is what if you are in a lot of farming circles, what they'll talk about. That six inches of of topsoil is a non-renewable resource. Mm -hmm. It takes it takes hundreds of thousands of years to actually create uh, the kind of fertile topsoil you need to grow, um, and so. And, and, and yeah, and we're paving over a lot of it, and so there's it's 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 certainly one of the concerns, and and so which sort of leads me to the question, okay, uh, so vertical farming, uh, a, a what is it is it is it going to save us? Uh, and the and the answer, as it always is, is probably not, but it could certainly help. Which I think is the answer most of the time. Is that isn't that the name of our show? <laughs> Probably not, but it could certainly help. Yeah, um, it should it's be the subtitle. Yeah, exactly. Um, so the so here so reasons why uh, vertical farming really matters, um, or why we should be paying attention to vertical farming, and why we should why we should be looking at it as a as a positive. Uh, the first is that it. It is truly probably the only real answer for food security within cities. Uh, if you're trying to grow enough food to feed a city like the size of Toronto, and you're only doing that by importing things very long distances or or over or from far away, the city of Toronto starves in three days. Uh, is the is the rough estimate uh, if food in if food imports exist it stopped existing, and we do not have the capacity uh, mm. to grow food enough at the scale enough in the speed enough we we need to 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 protect ourselves, and so having food available to us uh, available to us within this sort of local sector is very important. Uh, especially as I mean, climate change, especially as climate change makes farming more unreliable. You know, there's a level of this which is it's it's resiliency planning for the times when we start seeing larger shocks to major food systems. Which, if we don't do anything and we're not doing anything uh, to really combat climate change, uh, you're going to see larger and larger shocks into the food systems. And having food uh, available to you that's cl and that's close. Um, and that is also not reliant on specific weather patterns because it's indoors is very important. Uh, and so 100% necessary on that. Uh, the also dense urban farming allows more land to be taken up, uh, not to be taken up by agriculture. Uh, and uh, and right now a lot of the land uh, that especially land that is sort of that is currently being 
if this if this kind of thing could start replacing some of the more industrial farms, uh, where a lot of the pe- you see a lot of the pesticides and you see a lot of the uh, a lot of the other things, that would do a lot of great wonders again to soil health, to nitrogen cycles, uh, to all these things that right now that the, that the monoculture uh, is 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 pulling from. It would allow us to sort of start scaling back slightly on these types of types of practices. Uh, not as good, obviously, if it's if it, what it's really taking down is is organic farms, uh, but. And in, the, in that, the, the benefits at that point are a little bit less, but still an important consideration. Uh, again, other things, shorter supply lines, as I mentioned, and, and controllable risks um, uh, are both important given the, as we get closer and closer, as we move, as, as the earth warms, we are going to be, have, there's a higher and higher value in having uh, food uh, close to us. And I think this is literally why David Petraeus is involved. Uh, the you know the Pentagon has for a long time said that climate change is the number one threat to global security. One of the major reasons why that is the case is food security, and so th- the there I think th- this is my hypothesis that the reason why a general might be interested in vertical farming is that he, they, he sees it as an opportunity to at least work towards a future where mass instability can be mitigated to some extent. To, to a degree, and I, I don't think this is the mindset being used, but it's there. there's a sort of cultural correlation that can be made with that sort of uh, bunker mentality that is more common in the United States. That's sort of the, you, you, it's generally associated, but it's certainly not limited to uh, sort of like Southern Republicans of that, you know, everything is going to hell with these blah, 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 the world's going to end. And so those folks that like listen to Glenn Beck's radio show and, you know, he's, he's, in, nor- he's, he's, he's dramatically more normal now. Right, which is a he must weird... have gone in that centrifuge. Yes, Sorry, exactly. that's an, I, I apologize. That's an aside. <laughs> Google it, but that's a real thing. Um, uh, but yeah, I mean that that seems to be, and, and perhaps in a less sort of. Uh, you know, tinfoil hatty sort of way, but I feel like that's sort of coming from the same place, which is that you know he sees the writing on the wall to to a degree, and is maybe is doing it for you know safety paranoid tinfoil hat safety reasons, and maybe is doing it for he just recognizes a business opportunity. Yeah. Uh, but I think that's where that is coming from. I yeah. think that's coming from an anticipation that very soon uh, he recognizes that that will be a concern that this will not simply be a nice to have but a need to have. But food security is security. <laughs> there's a level. You know, it, like it's, yeah. Yeah, there's a. It's a, an important part of in, in, in right. ensuring that of, uh, ongoing functioning. I am not. I'm not a historian, but I, I'm. I'm enough of an armchair uh, uh, reader to know that many many armies have been felled not by their opponents, but by a lack of food. Yes, exactly. Um, and so uh, the so so that's the general positive sides of it. So why why is it, why will this not save us? Uh, the first is that land is expensive. Uh, you know, especially if you're trying to put these close enough to urban centers where they could provide a, you know a a useful um, uh, short supply chain uh, to to the to the urban center. The land is dramatically more expensive than it would be if you're trucking it in for other places, uh, and so that's a sort of immediate concern. Uh, and it's an economic concern. Um, it's not sort of a social political concern, but it's a it's a concern nevertheless. Uh, the second is that these are incredibly energy intensive, uh, and so it's not. It does not come with a zero cost on energy productive. Now, there are ways you could theoretically go about battling this by, you know, by installing enough solar panels on the roofs and and actually trying to power these all renewably. And so there's a part of me that sort of doesn't take energy uh, requirements as seriously because I think they're a solvable problem where some things feel like an unsolvable problem and uh, just you know investing enough money to have solar panels on your roofs is seems like a solvable problem. Now, again, the other problem there is that. It's gonna make it's gonna make these things more expensive, and mm-hmm. so you got to find a way to lower the cost. Um, 
The third uh, is that that these are not unlike organic farming. These are not actually contributing to soil regeneration. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not you know most in some of these versions they're not having any soil at all, but they're still not actually sort of helping actually heal the earth. Uh, we're mitigating our damage and stopping our damage, but we're not actually healing the earth in any way. It's not it's not leading towards a more holistic appreciation of the earth. Um, and the and so and, and the biggest the the biggest concern I have um, is that it, it's food and not Facebook, mm-hmm. uh, which is that there's sincere dangers in running our food systems as if they're tech startups. Mm. Uh, you know, I don't need Jeff Bezos being the person who actually controls whether I get a meal tomorrow. Uh, I don't, I certainly don't need that to be uh, in the hands of these sort of tech giants uh, who are trying to quote unquote design the future um, because they, because we've already seen what, you know, that they don't, they don't have the same or they, they don't, there's a level of which I can I've, I've concerned about their moral reasoning for most of these things, and so there's not a I'm not really currently willing to give up my ability to have a meal tomorrow or anyone's meal tomorrow to these sort of tech giants have proven incredibly fallible right. uh, and incredibly susceptible to uh, to a lot of problems. Well, and aside from that, we have to wrap up this section, but to, uh, to close off, aside from the fallibility, you know, there's the there's the funny uh, and stark reminder of the example of Google, which mm. is you know, it's, you you can have your company motto motto be don't be evil but the yeah. problem with that is that you can stop that motto you can you can decide not to follow that model and take it away at any time <laughs> and then you're perfectly free to be evil yeah it's, no it's you know it's it's a l- largely you know people have the best intentions when their sort of their footprint is the smallest and then they get to a certain size and there's too many there's an other interest start competing uh and you know the the time when they're able to to be the most evil is usually when ethics get a little bit more flexible well and there and, and a lot of these organizations are are, are still very clearly wi- willing to uh to sell out for the next big buck yeah if the uh, Mama's Pizza Store on the corner decided our motto is "Be Evil." Like, go at it. You're a, you're a pizza <laughs> shop, but when you yeah. when you impl- when you when you're the fourth largest commercial entity and and have a, a you know a GDP larger than half of the countries on the earth and employ hundreds of thousands of people, <laughs> that matters. I'm concerned if you're evil. Or not. Yeah. Yes. Uh, okay. So to answer the question. Uh, will this save us? Uh, my answer is going to be uh, no, it will not save us. Uh, but uh, I think as a combination of vertical farming uh, as a complement to both organic farms uh, that sort of can, that exist, that, that grow sort of more holistically uh, and actually do soil regeneration and uh, community gardens within urban centers, I, I think that is the future of, of food systems. A combination of these sort of three platforms of organic farming where you can have the land and where, and where you can be restorative, community farming, gardens within urban centers to to help reduce costs and provide an ongoing su- supply of food to people really really hyper locally and then th- replacing a lot of the sort of monocultures we're seeing in pesticide monocultures with er- t- with these sort of higher um, density or er- vertical farms of different natures I think that is might at least give us a path forward toward a more sustainable future uh, Stefan, I don't think anyone will be shocked to, to find out that I am in violent agreement with you. <laughs> I'm also, I'm sure to be in violent agreement with our next music break, which is going to be introduced now by Megan. So for our first music break, we have... And we're back here listening to The Green Majority here on CIUT to 9.5 FM on our wonderful and very appreciated community radio, radio partners, as well as our podcast audience. Welcome to all of you to the middle part of the show. Uh, I do know more about what this section is going to involve because I'm going to be introducing it. Amazing. There you go. Uh, so uh, in the news today, of course, it's impossible on this show to not talk about oil at all, <laughs> uh, as much as I would wish to uh, occasionally. But the uh, Canadian Association of Petroleum Producers, otherwise known as CAPPA, uh, 
uh, with two P's. Yeah, yeah. I like the p as a way to as imply the second P. Ka pa pa. There you go. One of the largest energy firms, Royal Dutch Shell, is leading a some amount of international effort, including a variety of energy firms, to create to some degree their own. Uh, uh, limits. They're, uh, among other things, looking to reduce the net carbon footprint of oil and gas products around the world by roughly half by 2050. Um, and uh, the this, this story, however, is not about that so much as the fact that uh, CAP papa, uh, is not going to be joining this. Uh, they have said that, uh, the association has said that they're um, uh, basically, they are going to tr uh, that they that they intend to meet essentially the spirit of the law without the letter of the law, if you will. They 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 think that they can uh, meet many of the same ideals, uh, but they they are not uh, interested in sort of doing it the the prescriptive way. They would like to figure out their own way to do it. Is is the line that's being given? And I've been asked to save any further commentary <laughs> on that, as because I know you might be expecting it. But I will pause now for Stefan. Well, yeah, I, I was going to say that I love that. That reminds me of of what Comcast has been doing this little while. And the net neutrality debate in the states, which has been ferociously lobbying to end net neutrality, while telling everyone that it won't do anything once that happens. And so they've 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 had a statement being like, "We will never, we'll never copper internet ever," but also let us do it. It's like two little, it's like two little brothers or something left alone for a few minutes, and one of them's got a you know got a stick, and the other one's like, "Give me the stick." It's like, "Why do you want the stick?" Nothing. I'm just gonna hold it. Give me the stick. <laughs> I'm pretty sure you're going to use that stick. Um, but yeah, so the reason why, uh, yes, yeah, so to sort of pause at that point is there's a bit of uh, backstory uh, or crime in the story. What, what, I, what I thought about was interesting is what you just sort of uh, presented there was a good example of what you'd read if this was a business financial posts article kind of thing, right? It's like, here is the information that this is what is happening. This is what they said. Uh, and there'll probably be, at the end, it would say, Shell's stock price. And then that would be the news that they provided. Well, no, well, they would also say, environmental groups are not satisfied, but not yeah. get into why or any of the criticisms. They yeah. would just say, some other some other people, don't, you know, they would make it sound very reasonable. And yeah. then they would say, some other people uh, don't find this reasonable, even though it's obviously reasonable. But that would be all implied. Yes, yeah. And then it would and then it, yeah, and then it would focus specifically on how that affected the cat. Look how reasonable they are. These other people don't want to accept how reasonable. But it seems reasonable to me. Yeah, they, exactly. They're obviously being unreasonable, is, yes. is the implication. Um, uh, and so the point here uh, is that there are a bunch of little pieces of of context that actually make things matter, you know. Uh, and you know, maybe in the world of soundbites, this is becoming less and less obvious. Uh, but, uh, or maybe it's more and more obvious actually as you as you learn as you learn. But anyways, the two most important contexts about this specific decision by Cap is the first is that Trudeau uh, and the and the Canadian government uh, came out and and. Uh, there was sort of they they had plans to to implement a methane reduction strategy. It's very similar actually to this strategy uh, in within Canada wide uh, to reduce emissions by uh, by about forty five percent by twenty twenty five, and and this was part of the decision. And then uh, in part, uh, I'm certain due to lobbying from the from these from CAP and its members, uh, decided to delay this uh, this plan uh, or at least delay the the original start date to this plan uh, back to uh, back to 2020 to give people a couple more years to sort of get closer to this plan, and already uh, sort of shows the uh, the weakening 
uh, of the position that we're going and go along with it, we promise, but we're also going to fight any way to regulate us to actually do this. You know, it, 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 it should already raise concerns that if you're saying you definitely are on stunt line of this, but you are not going to take any prescriptive approach. You're not going to you're not going to sign in with the general producers all across the world. You're not going to sign in with the Canadian government. Something tells me that maybe you aren't planning on doing this. Mm. You know, um, if you want to get the you know, the accolades and the confirmation, the help from these organizations to do this, you sort of want to to buy into their plans and pushing back on all plans to regulate yourself or even self-regulate or or, or truly regulate uh, yourself is is not a great starting point for me to believe in you. Mm. And then the the second piece of of news is something we reported on a couple uh, a couple of, um, months ago. I believe in October the news came. <laughs> it out. feels like years ago. It, uh, every yeah. every month feels like years. Um, <laughs> uh, and it's an article uh, that is a really is an it was a um, a report that came out in October, uh, which suggested that forget the 45% reduction. Forget the idea of this sort of percentage reductions of things. If you cannot understand actually how much methane is being reduced now, then the percentage reduction almost doesn't matter. You know, uh, it, it, you know it, I can tell you I'm reducing 45%, but if I don't know where 100% is right now, then how can anyone verify what I'm reducing at all? And how can anyone verify the, the the amount of work that I'm putting in? And and this is a re, is a new research uh, suggests that industry and government are badly underestimating Alberta's emissions in 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 re specifically regarding methane. And it it's a currently the industry is only required to report how much methane is released during flaring and venting, uh, and 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 so. Those are like the sort of the intentional release of, of methane, which is already kind of a concern. Like why the, the, the fact that intentional release of methane is part of the part of this plan, and that's what and that's what the report report on, and that's what they're saying they'll reduce the forty five forty five percent reduction in redu reduction is for the uh, the reported. Obviously, that's how we do it. However, the so called quote unquote fugitive emissions from equipment such as leaky valves has only been estimated, and. And this particular study uh, basically came out and, and started using these aerial flyovers, oil and gas fields, to actually sort of test. They were sort of they, they sort of flew uh, things over the over these fields to see how much uh, methane was in the atmosphere at that point to get a sense of you know once you get once you lose it into the atmosphere, it's much harder. So they were trying to get it before they sort of lost it to the general atmosphere, and they were they were what they learned was was not great, shall we say. <laughs> Uh, specifically that... Yet another potential subtitle for yes. the show. <laughs> what we learned was the not great. majority. What we learned was not great. <laughs> I like that one, actually. Um, and basically what they learned was that uh, the airborne tests found that this type of heavy oil uh, recovery uh, used in that land area released actually 3.6 times more methane than previously thought. Now, this isn't, isn't 3.6 times more than the reported nature this is 3.6 times more than the estimates that they were all they were all presuming were accurate i don't know why on earth anyone would presume that the oil and gas industry would effectively guess or estimate their methane emissions uh when it's for any reason oh and why they wouldn't undercut that but anyways now Stefan, we're going to help you control your alcohol consumption uh, great so we're going to actually implement a reporting policy mm -hmm. uh but we're only going to we're only going to force you to report any beer you consume at bars and you can volunteer we encourage you to voluntarily report any beer you drink anywhere else 
<laughs> yes, and, and then uh, that, and, and I, but you also really want to make sure I keep it low, right? So that's right. Just, I have to estimate that's how much right. I probably so drink every else. three weeks. Someone will come to your house and say, "Can you please tell us how much beer you've had?" <laughs> or well, I never tell you. Well, I just have to guess. They're, right. they're not even asking for me to show, prove it in any way, shape, or form. I'm just taking a it? shot. <laughs> um, and so, and so, yeah, so this is the thing. Or this is the thing about this is that is that this is a 45 that if to to r- r- roll this back uh, to the original conversation. Here's the cap, who is saying that they are not necessarily overtly interested uh, in being a part of uh, any sort of regulations framework for for their uh, for their work. And again, they are, the delay in the Trudeau government does not mean it will not come into place, but it is still certainly a delay. Mm. And all of this only has to do with the methane that they're currently reporting, and none of it has to do with the leaked methane that they're that they're just releasing. Mm. And so. And so this is the, this is the, this is the, this is the context that that decision by cap goes into, which is you can tell me all the nice things and you can say that you're going to do all these types of things. Uh, but it is, it is on, I, I have a hard time believing you, uh, until you start doing anything. Um, and I have a harder time to believe you if you're not buying into any of the ways you could do something or alternatively even and then if even in the parts where you're sort of where you don't know uh, everything you're vastly underestimating your impact there's a lot of reasons to be skeptical I guess is what I could say right well, the one thing if I can just pull out a quote here and, and I, I don't want to we're having fun today a little bit Stefan right mm, I, I, I don't mean to bring us down here yeah. but I feel like I'm partially contractually obligated that's fair um but I mean, the one thing really here that that my skeptic goggles just like jumped right off the page at me here is reading down on this article. This is the National Observer article. One of the things we're referring to, uh, it'll be listed on the website if you want to read it for yourself. And even referencing to, so we're kind of picking on Cap here. And and the intro was that you know was to, you know, compare uh, the Canadian Association of Petroleum Producers to the international effort led by Shell. But yeah. here's a quote by Shell for a second. So this is about halfway through the article, a little bit less. Mm. Shell was doing this quote in step with society's drive. Unquote to align with the Paris Climate Agreement on climate change, says Van Buren. So anyway, who Van Buren is doesn't matter. The point is, he's the the Shell chief executive, CEO. Um, The the thing there, and maybe I'm I'm nitpicking, but reading for context, right? People, you and I have both trained ourselves to sort of read between the lines, especially on these types of stories. And the thing here that that really, and maybe I'm being unfair. If you think I'm being unfair, tell me. But what I'm drumming here is like in doing it in society's drive. So essentially what we're saying is we're doing this because of public pressure and not because if we don't, it's a coin flip or a die roll between, uh, you know, uh, temperature killing all our crops, starving to death, flooding, being killed in a hurricane, like as opposed to because we're all going to die if we don't. (laughs) It's because apparently it's hip these days. So I guess we have to like you can almost hear them like making that noise. Right. Right. And again, maybe I, am I being unfair? Tell me. Uh, I don't know. But I, I, it just it seems gross to me to be like, because it's popular. Right. I, well, it's certainly yeah, it's certainly some weasel words. That's for sure. Um, and yeah, I, I, I think that's the but that's you know, when your entire business is built on a premise of destroying the earth. Like there's only so many things that you can say. Right. Well, uh, and it's the thing of like too, and like, like well, we're the thing. Well, we're, we're many of the things we want to do are in line with this. Okay. But none of those things, again, it brings me back to that example I have from a while ago that I won't go through again, but that meaning of like being in this, like a bunch of bank people talking about, you know, look at this and the proudly, you know, almost chest puffingly look at this 3% improvement year over year that we're doing. And there's everyone sort of sitting there around there sort of like patting themselves on the back. And I was like, has anyone at any point, 
point compared to any of this to like the target? Like, do where where we where do we need to go? So has any analysis been done to know about what are where are the emissions we need them to be, and yeah. where and where are they compared to your estimate? Do you have a plan to get to that? And everyone sort of looked at me like, oh, stop, yeah. K hey, man, you're you're ruining the vibe here. Like, no, 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 because a three percent improvement is irrelevant if it doesn't get us where we need to go. Yeah. A three percent improvement is 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 identical to a three percent making it worse. Mm. Yeah. As far as this cutoff point of staying below 1.5 or 2 or whatever number we want to use, right? And so unless you're comparing it to what's required, all progress is meaningless. Yeah. <laughs> unless unless there's a unless it's possible for that progress to meet eventually the goal in the required amount of time. And if you're not comparing it to that, it doesn't matter. Well, and I think what well, to 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 sort of a leapfrog from that. I think the th what this is clearly a this is the only story. Like if I was Shell, and let's let's let's, well, let's remember, Shell is also the organization that told all of its investors that there would be no decrease in usage of oil by 2050. Which, if is the case, we are all dead. Uh, not immediately, but uh, but it is that there's no world I can imagine where we are consuming as much oil in 2050 as we are now, and we are not in some way just just very very bad off four to five medical doctors also smoke camels <laughs> yeah like i don't understand um but but the, the piece of it is that if i'm shell and i want a story about how i'm doing things on climate change but want to completely distract for the fact that literally the entire thing that my product provides is <laughs> that, that i'm doing is just adding carbon to the atmosphere methane is a conversation i want to be having here right methane is a conversation that i want to be i want to be doing here and um and I think I want to. Uh, I, I think what's important to note here uh, is my two quotes at the end of this article, the National Observer article, which does sort of put in something, that, which was actually a very good addition. Does actually provide some great context for this whole full conversation. Uh, so check our website for for a feature. Mm. Um, but it's from Andrew Reed, the senior analyst at the Pembina Institute. Um, uh, said the international agency noted that companies will need to take action to ensure they maintain market share, which you know makes sense as if you're trying to talk business speak. Uh, and but the two quotes that he has right afterwards are. Uh, the quote, these commitments are important and align with the oil and gas industry's recognition that they need to manage upstream emissions to maintain any role for natural gas and decarbonized world. So first of all, he's not talking about you are, this is the future. He's saying, if you want to be a part of any future, this has to happen. Like if you want natural gas to be included in any way, shape or form in a decarbonized world, this has to happen. Right. And then two, uh, he, he cautioned that success will, in quote, completely depend on the actions that are driven from it. The commitment is the first step to some potential meaningful action to reduce methane emissions. And I think that speaks to the level of skepticism required in this note. You know, the Pembin Institute is, 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 a, is, a, is a, walks this very interesting line being, mm -hmm. being in Alberta, an environmental organization, uh, and it's sort of fascinating combination of two, spa of two spaces. Mm -hmm. uh, but... So, which, but so that what it means is like this is why they know, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> like the fact that the, the fact that they like the fact that he basically paraphrases all comments on. Sure, this is great, but it will only it will completely depend on the actions rather than the words. I think really underscores uh, the what should be taken away from the story, right? So, uh, Stefan, if we were roommates and, and you had people coming over and you asked me to clean up my mess in the coffee table and you uh, came home later and said, why is it still messy? He's like, well, well I, Stefan, I cleaned up 30% of the coffee table <laughs> and that's 3% more than last week. Yes, exactly. Would you be satisfied? I would not. Mm. Mm. Problematic. <laughs> Speaking of problematic, something that is not problematic is our next music break, also brought to you by Megan. Woke up to sell 
shelf to box packed Welcome back, folks. You're listening to The Green Majority here on CIUT 89.5 FM, our wonderful community radio partners, and of course, our loyal podcast audience. Mostly oh, loyal. I presume very loyal. I'm assuming we're the only show they listen to, which is what I mean by that. Oh, really? That's, yeah. that's I feel like th- that dramatically decreases the, the presumed loyalty of our audience. Yeah. Uh, although, <laughs> I, I also, I, don't need, I feel like they can listen to other shows. That's true. I don't need that. All right. That sounds like a fun bonus show topic for the next time we have time for do a bonus they, show topic. Do, do we require you to only listen to this show or not? <laughs> Stephen, sure. we're, running, we're running short on time. Yes. I have, uh, we have three things we're going to try to get to. So uh, let's, let's get rolling there. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you lead off. Yeah. So speaking of uh, saying a lot of things and doing nothing, um, <laughs> uh, which is also the uh, potential agree majority uh, <laughs> subheading, um, the... Uh, the tr- the city of Toronto and and we're just sort of I'm just going to quickly run through this uh, and then hopefully we're going to get a, a much longer interview in the future uh, to talk about it more deeply. Uh, but the city of Toronto uh, and tr- has undertaken a we've we give we gave some props uh, in the past year or two to the city of Toronto's Transform TO plan, uh, which is a pretty actually good and wide ranging and multidisciplinary 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 um, uh Attempt to to address climate change within the city, and it's 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 part of its brilliance is that it actually it focuses on community benefits, and so it's lifting uh, it's 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 being intentional, but trying to lift everyone up and not just sort of carve off the top uh, pieces of it. It's trying to show and help uh, everyone actually live in a more sustainable world, and and actually lift people up uh, while doing so. And so there's a it's actually a pretty good plan. The problem with this plan is that the city of Toronto refuses to give it any money. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is an ongoing issue for the city of Toronto. The city of Toronto really likes the current, at least the current city of Toronto, with its, with our with our with our mayor, uh, are really into this plan of coming up with these great plans, talking about them a lot, and then n- when it comes to budget season, cutting them out entirely. So mm. this is actually a plan that is actually in the current version of the budget that w- was just released. There is no funding for Transform Trio in the pl- in the preliminary po- twenty eighteen plan. So it's not as if they're sort of like uh, there was a there's a piece of this previously in which they had a whole bit where they. Tried Tried to cut, uh, they they sort of cut up the plan in different business sectors, and, the, and there was a concern from environmental groups that they only they don't they only do a couple and not all of the things that they promised mm. in the plan. Um, and this is even worse than that. Uh, and like the only acceptable option for the city of Toronto is a fully funded plan. That is, it, it's how you actually leverage the benefits of multiple attempts of multiple things that are going on. It's how you ensure that we actually are coming anywhere close to our targets. And it is a important and very uh, important reasonable smart steps moving forward one part of the part of the very important part of that is that you know in the articles as well they mentioned poverty and a number of other issues what was good about the plan if and if you can look up our old episode with the interview and we hope to have hope maybe hopefully the same person come yep. back in and update us uh, on it was that um, the plan also addressed in a combative way because all these issues are connected the plan understood that complexity and the plan also had the benefit of helping with poverty reduction food access and a number of other issues so it yep. wasn't I mean climate change should be <laughs> enough of an argument but it, it 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 helped with a number of social ills. Yes, as well as protecting all of us for the future. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was. A, it was a comprehensive plan. It was a good idea, <laughs> um, and and so this is important. Uh, so if you live in Toronto, uh, pay attention to this. Uh, check out the Toronto Ent- Environmental Alliance is doing some amazing work uh, organizing around this, um, and we'll be we'll be coming back to it shortly. But uh, that's just our quick update of the government having plans and not funding them. 
This one's a little clunky, but I feel like another subtitle for the show could be good ideas no one will ever enact and bad ideas people are jumping at, the, <laughs> chomping at the bit to enact. Uh, moving on. So uh, very interesting uh, very interesting report here. A new uh, bit of research was done from uh, some uh, universities in the States, uh, Yale and George Mason, um, showing that while... Uh, the uh, Americans' attitudes, uh, anyway, are still sort of very poor when it comes to acceptance or or concern. They're sort of different types, right? Do you do you accept climate change is, is human caused? If you do, do you think it's a concern? So there's number there, there's a right. there's a whole lot of places on that scale you can be. It's not a matter of it's not a yes no. Yeah yeah. It's like do and, you think this is a thing at all? Yeah like is right. this is this is it the weather controlled by the Russians? Yes yeah. no okay. <laughs> Is the way, yeah. Uh, so there's a number of sort of places you can be on that scale, and so and I and I've encountered a lot of those people, people who perfectly accept that climate change is man-made, but they still think that ultimately it will it will benefit all of us because they don't understand the math, and they read some article about how it's going to help plants grow because car- plants like carbon or something, right? So there's a lot of places. You, there's a lot of ways to be wrong. That's what I'm trying to say. So right. There's a lot of ways to be wrong about climate change. <laughs> uh, the the positive growth though, and we're seeing here, and and it and this was actually specifically studied. Uh, we've talked about this anecdotally quite a bit on. The the show, uh, but the correlation, and, and I've pondered uh, repeatedly if the uh, if the battering of extreme storms in rapid succession uh, would in fact uh, affect people's uh, opinions about climate change. And, and we've we've actually seen data, and not just anecdotal data, in previously that this effect was was soft, if if all, if not non-existent. Um, it does appear that that is changing. Uh, there is, uh, while it's very small, there is an increase in the uh, people of bumping people up that scale. So the number of people who believe that climate change is human caused hmm. uh, has gone up slightly. The amount of people from that category who we upgraded to it's human caused and it's a problem has been upgraded. And the number of people who are human caused and it's a problem and they see a connection to weather and they're now very, very concerned about it has also gone up. So uh, just quickly, a couple of those numbers, a record 22%, these are Americans again we're speaking about, a record 22% are very worried about it, double the number of March 2015 survey. Uh, So we're up from 11 to 22 in a year. Sorry, uh, excuse me, two years. Uh, 63% of Americans are at least somewhat worried about climate change. uh, And that's... uh, uh, also correlated uh, to a direct impact. 64% of survey participants think that global warming is affecting the weather. 33% said it's having a big influence. All of those numbers are increasing. Uh, there's some very convenient and very illustrative uh, graphs and charts if you want to see the actual progression and balance if you're into the stats or if you want to know the details. There's pie charts, there's graphs, there's all sorts of graphics. If you want to understand that, you'll find that article from The Guardian on our website. Uh, but we'll leave it there for now and for comment from Stefan. Yeah, I think this has to do with the you know there's a the level of understanding that comes from seeing the impacts right in your face. You know, uh, the three hurricanes this this year probably did not hurt. Uh, or three major hurricanes. Obviously, there are many many hurricanes that happened, but sort of three major hurricanes making the news and being sort of once in a once in a lifetime storms. Each one in its own way was it was a version once. And more importantly, time. all three of them hitting Americans. Yeah. If there had been three catastrophic stor- storms right. in Indonesia, these numbers I bet you would not have changed. Oh, uh, or at least changed much much less for yes. sure. Yeah. Uh, and and so yeah, and so I think there's definitely a piece of that which is there's ongoing uh, concern. Uh, and and it's in your face, yeah. Like and there's just and there's also this level of which, like you know, as as the as the 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 people like I think a lot of times people's 
opinions uh, are largely derived or the way they see the world is largely derived by, the, by their education. And so, you know, we know how, we, with every passing year, you have another person who's come up through education that actually hopefully mentions climate change uh, versus, you know, you know, 20, 10, 10, 15 years ago, you have a lot less people who, you know, who, the climate change was barely mentioned when during school when I was growing up. Um, and so the fact that it's, you know, that this kind of Presuming that the you know Texas the fact that Texas owns all the textbooks in the United States, which is a weird issue that everyone should look into, um, the the there is still very strong uh, indication that people are actually getting educated by about this, and that's mm -hmm. moving forward. And I think that sort of so the combination of the education and then things being really in their face does actually drive people's decisions and concerns and everything else like that. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's and then you know. The uh, and so that's those are two important pieces as to why I think these numbers are going up, um, and despite the fact that you know you can have a government that's completely ignoring them, mm -hmm. and I think also there's a level of contrarianism that happens with people in which that like you know I think weirdly I think if you had a Wait, what are liberals like they like climate change all right I'm against it yeah. Wait, what does that mean that uh, that means I don't think it exists yeah. yes there no there is absolutely and that is quantifiable yeah that there, that has been that has been demonstrated yeah. through study that there, yeah. that is a real dynamic and there's also a, it is an interesting movement right now that's growing and going on now that we're seeing actually in a couple places in which conservatives are adopting climate change. You know, there's the the Ontario PCs uh, are, are taking a, a relatively softer stance on, on climate change than, than previous years. Um, the, the, you know, even someone like Andrew Scheer is, is, is at least listening to things about climate change. I, I wouldn't trust what he's saying, but at least, you know, you're moving forward. Uh, and in the States, there's a whole movement uh, uh, called Republic N, with E-N at the end, uh, for environment, uh, which is led by Bob Inglis, who was a who was a uh, was a who was a representative in uh, for the government who got primaried because he believed in climate change, uh, and he lost obviously to a Tea Partier, and so he started this as a movement of like, hey conservatives, this is a thing. It, like and that's literally that's that's basically what they do. They go around uh, talking about talking to conservatives from conservatives, uh, trying to get people to understand that like you know the future that, that future conservatism has to include uh, conversation about climate change, uh, or else they're just flat out ignoring reality. Now, don't worry, folks. I also think that women shouldn't have rights and that nobody should be taxed despite the fact that we need things that there's tax money for and I'm against abortion. But you know what I want to hear to talk to you about today is climate change. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> um, I don't actually know exactly where Bob Lingus specifically stands on those issues, but uh, but generally speaking, yeah, the idea would be, well, and I've, I've made this rant before, which is that that a, the price on carbon is the conservative solution to climate change. You know, the the, the left wing solution to climate change is 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 not is not let the market handle it. The left wing solution would be to regulate it uh, or to try to find other other avenues to get at it. And so the left has basically given up the like has moved on to the conservative solution to climate change, and the conservatives are still balking at it. So right. there's a whole thing there. Um, but to segue into our last story, which is just kind of a, a weird, sad one. Um, but not, which is, uh, but sort of comes off this sort of concept of when people see it, they get, it makes people feel more real, uh, which is that there was a lobster, uh, found that with a Pepsi logo, uh, on its claw. And, and if you go on, you go on their website, if you just Google lobster Pepsi logo, it shows up and it's, it's this really weird, uh, image, uh, of a lobster claw 
that has actually has a uh, sort of what looks like the top of a picture of a can, basically, um, on its on its claw. I actually assumed it was a genetically engineered commercial for Pepsi. It's, Is that it's, right? Uh, oh wow! It's it's very weird. Uh, and 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 so the and what's in and no one actually there's like the article is literally a bunch of people that sort of it re, article really it's in the Guardian, uh, but reads as if it's like people sitting around looking at the claw, just taking wild guesses. <laughs> so it's like it's like it, it it seems too big to be uh, to be on the can itself. So maybe it's actually just on the on the box. No, the box is that box is making sense either. And it's like people throwing out these sort of thoughts about ideas, and 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 no one. It's not really clear yet actually how it happened. But it's like, it, but what's it, what it's brought up is this conversation of how much garbage exists in our oceans. That you know, a lobster now has what it really they're, like. They call it a tattoo in this in sense, but it's it's not like it, it wasn't just like there and then gone. It's it's really on its on its on its, its skin. It's it's, it's carapacer, I believe is what, that's how you yeah. call it. Is actually gr- appears to be growing around it yeah it's very it's it's very odd um and 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 so it but it speaks to the sort of way that people are uh are, are having conversation um about it's it's sort of forcing that conversation it's forcing that conversation of you know what are we doing to our oceans uh you know if if, if you like there's not a more visceral uh example i think uh than than the fact that the garbage in our oceans is getting so implanted right. uh, in, in, in nature that it's actually becoming a part of their skin. Like it's, 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 it's one of the things where you see it and you're like weird and I don't understand how to react to it, but like it this underscores, uh, it cannot be good. Exactly. Yeah, I was going to say underscores a, a clearly very, very, very <laughs> scary reality. The final uh, <laughs> subtitle for the show today is the green majority. That can't be good. <laughs> And uh, yeah, because yeah, you know, it's. I, I think I'm not really sure, but that can't be. Good. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I, I don't have. I don't have all the information, uh, but I'm quite confident it can't be good. Um, and so, so like, check it out uh, and look into the different ways that people are trying to clean up these oceans, um, because there is. It is one of the many ways that the world is <laughs> is concerning these days, and and so the and so. You know, and it's one that I think may have like there's some there's some interesting sort of innovations going on trying to clean up erosions, um, and some work being done there that that sh- that that sh- should be should be highlighted. Uh, but also, it's 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 still something that we're not we have not we have come up with no real solution for the amount of garbage that we create. You know, this is it's it's it ends up being everywhere. And there's some other stories. I think there was another story about how they found a piece of uh, trash like a hun- like uh, the d- one of the most deep parts of the ocean. They were like sending one of those like ones down that had to go like really far, and they found trash even down there. And it's like, oh no, we've touched every part of this place mm-hmm. and all of it. And 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 that is the level of which we are destroying the planet. You know, the trouble with protecting the ocean is, Stefan, we don't know anyone who lives there. <laughs> and well, and we don't know who everyone who does live there. That's what the ocean is so huge. And, and and that we don't understand some very basic simple things about 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 the ocean. But I'm I, sure it's fine. Yeah, like I think that was I think there was a, sim- a simple thing. About, I read it was article recently about the the number the amount we don't know about whales. Like and these are the biggest creatures in the ocean. Forget forget the small stuff. Forget the things at the bottom of oceans that we can. We the can small stuff is arguably simpler. Yeah, <laughs> to well, some degree. To some degree, but also but also harder to find. And we mm-hmm. definitely don't know everything that's there. But like we don't even understand some massive parts of whales that uh, or whaling species and stuff like that that we just don't have any idea. And about. we've killed a lot of them. Yeah, <laughs> um, which is like usually how we learn about things, uh, which is depressing, um, but also true. Um, and so this so this is this is what we're looking at, right? And and so. 
you know, this is a very silly little story. There's nothing, you know, we're, the world is not going to end because there is a single lobster with a weird uh, Pepsi logo or Pepsi can sort of tapped onto its claw. You know, that's not going to end the world. Uh, but it should definitely be a reminder of how far reaching the human touch has now exceeded its uh, its its boundaries. Mm. Well, I'm afraid we're going to have to leave it on that note in uh, a partial commercial for Pepsi, I suppose. <laughs> uh, there we are. Thank you so much for listening for uh, to today's show. There will be a very brief, I'm not even going to call it a bonus show. I'm just, uh, there was a very brief after comment. I'm going to pr- have some off-air comments as well following up on last week's episode. So if you listened to last week's bonus uh, show and noticed a problem mm-hmm. uh, with the bonus episode we passed it last week, well, you weren't the only one. And I'll be, <laughs> I'll be discussing that and making the appropriate post today. If you have no idea what I'm talking about, well, then doubly listen today because yeah. there's some, some important news you're going to want to know about. But you'll have to listen to the podcast for that, which can be found at greenmajority.ca. Aside from that, thank you very much to uh, my guests and my techs and everyone else who contributes to the show and you, the listener. Have a good green week and we'll see you all real soon. 